Hello, friends. This is the Neatarts Friends Church podcast. We are Jesus people, Kingdom of God people, welcoming, yearning, sharing. And we're glad you're connecting here with us. We'd love to connect in person as well. If you're inclined to support this podcast or for more information, just hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. That's neatartsfriends.org. Let's jump into today's sermon. On this recording, if you hear weird sounds in the background, it is my puppy tearing up a cardboard box. I'm the only one home tonight, and so I'm double dutying here. Winnie duty and uh, sermon recording. Anyways. Every person has a sense of identity, a sense of, this is who I am. And they may not be able to articulate it, but it's there underneath the surface. And our sense of identity is shaped by many factors. It's shaped by our physical appearance, our education, emotional traits, professional life experiences, genetics, health conditions, family, nationality, race, ethnicity, social community, peer group political, environment, language, religion, spirituality, gender, sexuality, personality, our interests, our goals, values, beliefs, memories, finances, and on and on. And and all of these things play a part in shaping our core identity, our sense of this is who I am. Sometimes the things that shape our core identity get disrupted. And it can cause people to lose their sense of identity. They don't feel like they know who they even are anymore. Uh, It's called an identity crisis. As I read the Gospels, I have often wondered, how is it that Jesus endured the amount of rejection that he endured while staying true to his sense of identity. I mean, Jesus' hometown wanted to kill him. His family thought he was off his rocker. They didn't believe in him at all. The religious authorities and the Bible experts of the day labeled him a blasphemer. They wanted to kill him. Jesus experienced so many of his disciples rejecting him that he ended up even asking his 12 closest disciples Um, Do you guys also want to go away? And eventually, even his closest friends, his closest disciples, ended up turning against him, betraying him, denying him, abandoning him. Jesus experienced the political authorities of his day rejecting him and turning against him, crucifying him. And so I ask, how much would just one of these experiences of losing some of these things that cause you to say, this is who I am, how much would it cause you to lose your sense of identity, who you are? Like, have you ever had a friend turn against you and just end the relationship? Have you ever been stabbed in the back or found out that people are talking behind your back or found out that people are still getting together 
They just aren't inviting you. And what did it do to your sense of identity? Do you know what it's like to have a family member not believe in you, not support you, treat you like they just think you're going to fail and embarrass them? What did that do to your sense of identity? Have you ever had a family member cut you off? Have you ever gone through a divorce or a separation or not been invited to the family Christmas? What did that do to your sense of identity? Have you ever experienced a rejection or a demotion or a loss in your professional life? Like an authority labeling you in a negative way, rejecting you, firing you from a job, passing you over, demoting you? Or have you ever experienced a political authority turning against you or political rejection of one kind or another? Have you ever walked in somewhere and you realize, I'm just not welcome here? What did those experiences do to your sense of identity? You see, I look at just one of these experiences of rejection that Jesus went through, just one, and it stings. But then I look at Jesus experiencing all of these levels of rejection, many of them happening simultaneously, and not just like, oh, that was a bad week, but an ongoing experience for three years. And I look at that combination of rejection coming from every side, this message that it sent to Jesus, you're not loved, you are not wanted. And I genuinely wonder, How do you endure that level of rejection while staying true to your sense of who you are? Now, I know some people say, well, yeah, you just have to grow some really thick skin to endure that level of rejection, which to me sounds more like numbing yourself to everything. But then I look at Jesus, and I don't see thick skin. I see skin as thin as my skin or your skin. I see someone who gets exhausted and thirsty and has compassion and cries at the pain of other people and grieves and doesn't bury their emotions but is in touch with their emotions. Sadness, overwhelm, anger, joy, love. And once again, I wonder, how do you endure that level of rejection while staying true to your sense of who you are. Well, this brings us to our story today in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Now it happened that when all the people were baptized, Jesus also was baptized. And while he was praying, heaven was opened. And the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. I am not the first one to suggest that Jesus' baptism was the pivotal experience in Jesus' life, the decisive moment. This was the core experience that Jesus returned to over and over, to be reminded of who he really was. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased.
it's no accident that the genealogy of Jesus that comes next in the Gospel of Luke ends with this same phrase, the Son of God. And it's no coincidence that the very next story we have in three of the four Gospels is a story of Jesus' temptation, a temptation in the desert centered around the accuser's repeated words, if you are the Son of God. Can you hear the identity question there? It's asking Jesus, who are you? If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here. Spiritual writer Henry Nouwen has pointed out that every single temptation in the desert was an attempt to suggest an alternative answer to the who am I question. They were attempts to move Jesus away from his core identity. Who am I? The beloved Son of God. And so how did Jesus endure this combination of rejection pressing in from every side while staying true to his sense of who he was, not only in the desert temptations, but through his entire ministry? I believe it was through this core experience, this core identity, that Jesus returned to over and over in prayer. I am the beloved. Throughout our life, we are tempted to answer this who am I question with answers such as, well, I am what I do, or I am what other people say about me, or I am what I have. Consider those three alternative answers. How often have you drawn key parts of your identity from one of these? Like how often do you say to others or to yourself, hey, look at what I did. And therefore, you're kind of making a statement about who you are. I am my achievements. I am what I do for work. I am my trophies. I am my degrees. I am my resume. I am my accomplishments, my results, my hobbies. How often does your sense of identity rise and fall based on what other people are saying about you? How often are you thinking about impressing other people or earning their approval or their affections and wondering what they think of you? Or I am what I have. It's I have this kind of vehicle. I have this kind of house. I have this kind of family, this kind of job, this kind of clothing. I have this certain flavor of things. I have my things and keep my things in a certain way. And therefore, I am this kind of person. So back to this question, who am I? That question resurfaces all throughout our life. And underneath that question, what we are really trying to figure out is, am I beloved? Am I worthy of love? That word, beloved, it's agapetos. It's an adjective. It's pertaining to one who's in a very special relationship someone worthy of love, dearly, dearly loved, favorite, prized, valued, the object of one's affections. Now, you know what it feels like to be the beloved 
in a small way from your own life experiences. Think about who are the people who have counted you as one of their favorites. I think back to the way I felt when my dad told me that I was his favorite Aaron. It really didn't matter that I wasn't his favorite Nathaniel because I was his favorite Aaron and that word favorite did something expansive in my heart, more than words can say. Or who are the people who have counted you as dear? I think about a friend who recently wrote to me and said, my dear friend, certainly one of my dearest, I want to tell you that I love you so incredibly much. And I I didn't even need to read the rest of the message. It's like, there's nothing like this experience of having people who know you deeply and believe in you. Think about any time that someone has expressed to you, look, this is a very special relationship. And think about the way you felt. Who are the people who have expressed to you that you are prized, that you are valued, that you are esteemed, not just for what you do, but for who you are? Think back on what it feels like to be the object of someone's affections. And I don't mean, oh, they have the hots for you. I mean, knowing that you're treasured, that you are beloved. There's just nothing like being beloved. There's, there's nothing like it. It's an experience that defies definitions. It's more than words can capture. It's been said, if you feel loved, you can do a thousand things. And if you feel rejected, everything becomes a problem. Child psychologists tell us that children who grow up never hearing or experiencing declarations of their parents' love and affirmation end up facing all kinds of intense struggles. But it isn't only in childhood that we need to know that we are the beloved. This question resurfaces over and over throughout life. Am I worthy of love? Am I beloved? So a discussion question, we reflected together on this on our, in our Sunday morning gathering. Reflect on Jesus's life in your life. When we know at the core of our being that we are beloved, how does that help us stay true to our sense of identity, being who we were created to be? How do we stay true to that in the midst of rejection. So take a moment and reflect on that. So we have this story of Jesus's baptism. How did Luke come to know this story of Jesus' baptism? Luke had heard this story from an eyewitness, from a living voice. And I wonder, well, how did hearing this story impact Luke personally? At one level, the answer is that's impossible to know for sure. 
However, there are a couple things that I find fascinating. Jesus didn't need a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That's like trying to bleach bleach or wash soap. And yet, Luke says that when all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. It's as if Luke wants us to see Jesus standing right next to absolutely anyone who wants to come to God. Like, Luke can see Jesus standing next to him. I find it fascinating what the Apostle Paul calls Luke in Colossians 4.14. The Apostle Paul doesn't call Luke the smart physician. He doesn't call him the good physician or the noble physician. He calls Luke the beloved physician. You may say, oh yeah, that's just because the Apostle Paul and Luke were good friends. Well, maybe. But I wonder if this wasn't Luke's identity. I wonder if this story of Jesus' baptism hadn't become the core story for Luke as well as Jesus. Did beloved child of God come to describe Luke's core identity as well? You see, Jesus is not the only one who God calls beloved in Scripture. This word, beloved, permeates the New Testament. There are 22 different New Testament books that speak of humanity as beloved. It speaks of individuals, groups, you, us, as beloved. Over 60 different times this word is used to try to get this message across. You are the beloved child of God. And so, I want to ask you this question. Do you feel like you know, at the very core of your being, that you are the beloved child of God? Do you think of yourself as being dear to God in a very special relationship with God, the object of God's affections. Take a moment. Search your heart. Acclaimed spiritual writer Henry Nouwen offers a very honest answer to this question. He says, Though the experience of being the beloved has never been completely absent from my life, I was slow in claiming it as my core truth. I kept running around it while looking for someone or something able to convince me of my belovedness. It was as if I kept refusing to hear the voice that speaks from the very depth of my being and says, You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. I wonder how many of us run around looking for someone or something able to convince us of our belovedness. We want to come to God, but we struggle to be convinced that we are beloved. In what way does this describe you? Are you ever aware of a voice in the background, not very loud, 
but very intimate, coming from the deepest place and saying, you are beloved. Sometimes you hear that message and you can settle into it for a time, and yet for some reason you can't really explain. So often you turn in distraction in a million other directions, running, seeking, curious, looking, chasing, longing for someone or something able to convince you that you are beloved. I find it no coincidence that Jesus was praying when he heard this message of belovedness. The posture of prayer, the posture of listening, the posture of giving God our heart, the full range of our emotions, receiving from God, simply slowing, stilling, centering, listening. This is the posture that prepares us to hear God speak this message to us. You are my beloved. On you, my favor rests. Perhaps it isn't simply a question of knowing this once. Perhaps it's a question of when in your life do you know at the very core of your being as the truest thing about you that you are the beloved child of God? And when are you looking somewhere else for your belovedness? The challenge is that we all know our own unbelovedness. We know our duplicity and our hypocrisy and how fragmented our lives are. We know the lies that we tell ourselves and how we internally justify what we do and our own ver- very worst self, the parts that spill out into daily life and the parts that we keep hidden. We know our own dysfunctional relationships and our hang-ups and addictions and destructive patterns and ego and twisted motivations. All of this is what is called our flesh, sin, our old self, the old clothing, our false self. Sometimes those negative voices reminding us of our unbelovedness ring so loud in our ears that they are all we can hear. Some people struggle to believe that at the core of their being, they are God's beloved. We so easily forget this baptism story, that Jesus stands right next to anyone who wants to come to God. In Christian history, baptism was very much a funeral and a resurrection, all wrapped into one. It was an outward picture of an inward reality. Yeah, it is dying with Jesus, dying to that old self, that false self, the flesh, taking off that old outer clothing, renouncing patterns of thinking and behavior that are not a part of who God created us to be. The funeral part of the picture takes a good, long, honest look at all of our unbelovedness. But that unbelovedness is not the truest thing about us in God's eyes. As Augustine says, by loving us, God makes us lovable. This is encompassed in the breadth of Christian understandings of forgiveness and salvation. And the resurrection part is being raised to new life, putting on this new clothing of Jesus and being filled with the Spirit and empowered to become who we were created to be, our true self. And right at the heart of it all, I see this message 
It's you are the beloved child of God. And this is the empowering word, the freeing word that the Spirit speaks to our hearts in a million different unique ways. As the Apostle Paul says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Can you see how the juice, the energy, the power to be who we're created to be, it doesn't come from sheer willpower. It doesn't come from muscle alone. Sure, it involves our will, and sure, it involves our muscles, but that's not where the energy comes from. The energy comes from our core identity as the beloved of God. When you know at the core of your being that you are loved, what once seemed impossible begins to become possible. Henry Nouwen writes, There is in each of us an inner voice of love that says, You are the beloved of God. I want you to claim your belovedness. You don't have to get caught in searches that lead nowhere. Neither do you have to become the victim of a manipulative world or get trapped in any kind of addiction. You can choose to reach out now for true inner freedom and find it ever more fully. You are God's beloved. I hope you can hear these words spoken to you with all the tenderness and force that love can hold. My only desire is to make these words reverberate in every corner of your being. You are the beloved. I want you to just sit for a moment and take that in. I want to offer you a final reflection question. It's a situational question, so it's going to take just a little bit to explain. I want you to imagine that someone has paid random people in your life to all ask you the same question at completely unexpected moments. And this is the question. Do you feel like you know, deep down in your guts, right now, that you are the beloved of God? And so, different people ask you this, the grocery store clerk, the gas station attendant, the mail delivery person, the front desk person at the YMCA, your spouse, the guy working the paint department at Rosenberg's, the eye doctor, your great uncle, the guy with a sign asking for money, your boss, the high school student who just rolled their eyes at you. They've all been paid to ask you this question at completely random times of day. And imagine what it would be like if you knew that you were the beloved as your core identity and it was so deep in your guts that every single time that anyone asked you, no matter how out of the blue, your answer was honestly, yes, I know it. I know that I am the beloved of God right now, that I'm the object of God's affection. I'm dear to God and God and I are in a very special relationship. Imagine nothing else in your life 
changed. You had the same job or no job, the same house or no house, the same car or no car, same family or no family, same friends or no friends, everything stayed the same. And imagine the only thing that changed was your answer day in and day out to this one question. Do you feel like you know deep down in your guts right now that you're the beloved of God? What difference do you think it would make? If this was the only thing that changed in your life, what difference would it make? How might it change you? How might it affect the world around you? If you could say, yes, I am the beloved of God. Thank you for joining us for a Sunday sermon from Neatart's Friends Church. We hope you'll join us soon for one of our in-person worship gatherings. For more information, hop on over to neatartsfriends.org. God's peace be with you, friends.